1: Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. A special day for this podcast. A couple of pretty well-known names that you've uh, heard in your travels in the sports business. We kick it off with um, Dale Murphy, a one-time All-Star, seven-time All-Star with the Atlanta Braves, Uh, 18 years in the Bigs, 15 in Atlanta. And Dale, like everybody else, going through uh, dealing with what we have to deal with these days. But it's complicated, Dale. It's not only the it's not only COVID-19. We're dealing with a lot of social issues that are going on now around the country. And how do you think? How do you think it? it not only impacts us as uh, as citizens of the United States, but let's deal specifically with the sports world. A lot of athletes have taken the lead in terms of speaking out. Uh, is this something you think uh turns into um a positive when athletes speak out because let's face it fans uh, you know believe what athletes tell them
1: well yeah thank, first of all thank you for having me on howard yeah i think uh i i think the one thing for 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 players is to educate themselves um i i think uh uh people of uh uh influential positions like professional athletes, entertainers, musicians, what have you, uh, I, have, uh, I have no problem at all with them speaking their mind, um, you know, being educated and, and understanding the issues, and um, you know, I think it, could be, it can be a positive, and uh, that's what I'm open
2: for. Um, but it, it can also be divisive, right? Uh, and, and people will take sides. Uh, but when I when I look at, let's just use an athlete like LeBron James as an example. He's been very outspoken, uh, and a lot of people have followed his lead.
1: Well, you're right, Howard. I think uh, he, you know I, I respect uh, LeBron James. I think he's one of the athletes that we can, you know, look at as far as giving back to the community. I, I've never seen or heard anything about him except positive things, and. Right. I mean, people will take sides. I guess what I would say is is uh, what, what I want to say is open up your minds and listen. Hmm. Uh, don't necessarily follow that athlete, if that's you know. If you know, we we got to educate ourselves, Howard. That's the thing. And and one of the issues has been the MVP award in baseball, named after uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, one time commissioner and uh, with some documented uh, cases uh, as he was commissioner of racism and some some issues that have really bothered uh, some of the uh, uh, black national and American League uh, you know baseball players that his name is on the plaque and so people have asked me about it and I've, I've looked at it I've studied it I've tried to put myself in Uh, Joe Morgan and Barry Larkin shoes why does it make them uncomfortable you know we got to answer that question we got to listen we got to understand and so that's that's what I say is listen and study and understand and and have some empathy put people put yourself in people's uh, shoes if you can and that's what empathy is it's a good exercise for us and it'll make
2: us better Uh, There is a movement afoot that uh, wants to change the name of the MVP award to the Frank Robinson Award. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I think it would be great.
1: Uh, He's the only uh, player ever to win the MVP award in both leagues. And and I'm also fine if if they just want to call it the National League Most Valuable Player Award, I mean, or American League. I I don't,
0: you know, I, I don't have an issue either way, except that when
1: it bothers um some of my uh, fellow uh, ball players and uh, perhaps teammates, I haven't heard it from any of my teammates on this issue, but you know it, why does it bother? Them? I guess that's the question. And if there's you know a concern and uh, a legitimate understanding on on the part of those of us like me who had never really thought about it that much, to be honest with you, uh, maybe we can learn something. And, uh, uh, you know, Joe Morgan told Barry Larkin back when Barry won the MVP, and Joe won his MVPs, you know, many years before that, and it's bothered him all these years. And now we're in a climate where we can
2: speak up and listen, Now, I think that's the most important thing, yeah. is don't, don't, don't just pick a side. Pick a side from listening and understanding. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, talking with Dale Murphy, the one-time great... Atlanta Brave, Uh, and everybody who knows me knows that I've been a Brave fan since forever, Uh, and not only rooted for the Braves when Dale was playing, but even before, going back as far as when Hank Aaron was there, and then a guy from our neighborhood by the name of Joe Torrey made the Braves, so we had more of a reason, (laughs) we had more of a reason to root for the Braves. (laughs) Did you you try to strike out Joe Torrey at one time, Power? Yeah, I told you that story, didn't I? Right. No, no, I knew that. I knew that. That I knew that was a fruitless exercise. I mean, all I wanted to do. I mean, those guys were four and five years older than me. I, I couldn't compete. Yeah, that's right. I, remember. I, I, I couldn't compete with that. But uh, uh, it's uh, you know, Joe Joe had a great reputation in our neighborhood. Uh, after we played, we always played a nine a nine o'clock game in the morning on Saturday, at our age group. And then as soon as the game was over, we ran over to Diamond Number One in the parade grounds in Brooklyn to watch. Joe and the Cadets, and he, it wasn't just Joe. I mean, a guy named Matty Galenti, who went on to play for Houston, uh, was on that team. Larry Yellen, who played for the Houston uh, Colt 45s at the time. I mean, they had some players on that team that all made the big leagues. Man, you, 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 got group, you had to grow up in a different neighborhood to get a chance there, Howard. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't just that, Dale. Honestly, remember Joe Pepitone? Oh, sure. Yeah, well, Joe played for Nathan's Famous, the famous hot dog uh, uh, company. Uh, he was a little—he was, I think, a year or two older than Tori. But uh, when Pe- Pepitone used to play in a place called Marine Park, so when he came over to where we played baseball, the crowd was big because Pepitone had a big reputation. And then I played with his younger brother Billy uh, in the, the American Legion ball, and Billy—I uh, think he got signed by the Cubs, but he didn't last very long and wound up being a Chicago policeman for most of his life. But look, the one thing that I found out about baseball and about athletics is that there's a lot of common ground here. and It's not only, you know, if, if you're good enough. The question is, in our neighborhood, as an example, in Brooklyn, we didn't care if you were Irish, Italian, Jewish, uh, Puerto Rican. It didn't matter if you were white or black. It didn't matter. All that mattered was could you play ball? And if you could, you were in. It didn't matter what you were.
1: more Howard. Baseball uh, sports uh, you know uh, we would like to think and we know the history of baseball that it wasn't necessarily so in all of sports you know at one time uh, we made some corrections uh, you know in, in um, not allowing uh, black players obviously and with Jackie Robinson and it, was, it was great finally to see isn't it interesting Howard that it took years
2: for professional baseball to catch up with the neighborhood games. Yep.
1: Games, you know. I mean, it's it's just uh, it, it's it's interesting because you know we want the best players, and you know it's a real it's a real tragedy when you think about it um, that we were not able to see uh, the great players of the Negro leagues uh, playing against uh, you know the best uh, white players. It, it eventually. You know, uh, happened with Jackie and others, but it's a real shame because uh, boy, there were some great players that we they, we missed. Obviously, before my time, but we missed this as a country. So, so sports can teach us uh, if we do it right that uh, what's important, you know, is teamwork and good players, and it doesn't matter where you're
2: from. Well, the the truth is that Jackie Robinson wasn't the best baseball player in the Negro leagues. Uh, he, he was picked by, signed by Branch Ricky of the Dodgers because he was college educated at UCLA. And Ricky felt that he was going to take some abuse, but that he was educated enough to understand it and deal with it uh, as an adult. And uh, I mean, look, Josh Gibson was a great home run hitter in the Negro Leagues. He never made it to the big leagues. Satchel Page had a big reputation before he, he didn't come into Major League Baseball until he was already into his 30s. So it's, uh, it's 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 you're right. It's 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 a shame. It, it really is a shame. Well, isn't that isn't that interesting,
1: Howard? Me, like most people, figures, And he, now that you said it, I, I I gotta say to myself, yeah, that's right. That Jackie was the best player in the Negro leagues. I mean, that's fascinating to think about. As good as it was, you know. I mean, just think about the great players, and and you know, it, it is um, unfortunate. And we're in a climate now, I think, again, where we've got to look, look at ourselves, look at the way we're doing things as, a, as industries, as, as families, as individuals. You know, are, are do we need to make some corrections? And then we ask
2: ourselves, and if the answer is yes, then we try to figure out how best to do it. Let's talk about the current uh, baseball situation and as it impacts the Atlanta Braves. Uh, yesterday it came out that Nick Marcake has, has opted out. Uh, King Felix Hernandez is opted out. Freddie Freeman has tested positive for the COVID nineteen, so the Braves are starting uh, a little a little behind the eight ball here. But they're not void of talent. Certainly, uh, with Marcakis out, the outfield still has Acuna, Inciarte, Duvall, Riley, uh, uh, and a and a young guy they picked up from St. Louis in free agency, Azunia. Uh, so they're not they're not. Out with, without talent, but clearly they're they're um, they're going to be missing. I, I don't know what the status is with Freddie Freeman. To you, is he going to be able to come back? Uh, that's a good question,
1: uh, Howard. I think uh, you're right. They they do have you know they have a lot of talent. There's no question about it. That it is a talented roster. Uh, I would I would argue that you need Freddie. I mean, you know, Freddie is, uh, as Brian Snitker called him the other day, you know, the cornerstone, uh, you know, of uh, he's, he's kind of the center of gravity with that team, and he's a great player. So uh, the other guys that have opted out, you know, I understand that. I, I, people ask me, what would I do? I'd be like, I have no idea what I would do right now if I were playing – uh, it would probably depend on my age and family circumstances, like
2: a lot of these guys. It looks like. Uh, I've heard is that uh, Nick Marquez has talked to
1: Freddie Freeman and uh, and really, uh, uh, really kind of uh, convinced. Not Freddie didn't convince him, but just the conversation. Uh, Nick Marquez said to himself, "Man, uh, this is serious. He's really sick. He's getting better. I saw that the other day." um, which is really good. Um, I mean this is a scary situation. Uh not sure if he'll be ready by the first game. Um I'm sure if uh you know he'll be back uh as soon as possible. But yeah, you you know, Howard, it's just a, such a challenging time to stay positive. Isn't it? Just yep. so challenging.
2: Sure. It's so so hard to stay positive and you know, that's what we got to do, and that's what
1: the Braves are doing. And, you know, all of us sports fans, you know, let's stay positive and, and, and hope for the best, but respect those who are saying,
2: you know, I'm, I'm going to take a pass this year. Well, uh, we're talking with Dale Murphy, uh, the one-time great Atlanta Brave. Uh, Josh Donaldson is now gone uh, after hitting 37 home runs and knocking in 94 runs last year. That's going to leave a void in the lineup. Uh so so who plays third? Is it is this Camargo that's gonna play third? Yeah, I think uh, um
1: I I think he starts there. Riley is also a third baseman. Both of them are p- kind of playing third and outfield. Uh uh they they kinda of switched off a little bit last year. Um uh, I mean before uh they they both played there and now that Josh Donaldson is gone it's it's kind of uh you know, a situation where they'll 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 see, but they're they're pretty. Both those guys, Riley and Camargo, are pretty versatile and young and can move around. Riley actually did a really good job in left field, uh, so they'll they'll try to figure out how to. Both really talented kids. Riley's got a little more power. Um, uh, uh, Camargo's got a stronger arm, more experienced, uh, you know, to, to play multiple positions. So yeah, I mean that's. A, 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 to bring up your point, Liz and Josh Donaldson, again, that's another reason
2: why they need Freddie. The pitching staff, uh, Max Frieda won 17 games last year. Soroka won 13. But uh, a lot depends on the health of Fulginavitz, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: he, he, he's, you know, he, he's been, I guess the best way to say it is a little inconsistent when he's on. He's been nearly unhittable. Um, you know, but, man, what a, a young group. You met with Sharoka and Freed. I mean, these guys are kids. when it's 17 and 13, and hopefully Poltnevich uh, uh, finds his, you know, his groove and uh, can keep contributing because he's got great stuff. Um, you know, these guys, they're just young. I, I can't really believe how young they are and, and how polished uh, they are. So, you know, they're deep. They're deep and added to their bullpen strength. So in a sixty-game season, I, you know, I really like them. No question about it. I think
2: what's going to be interesting, Howard, is in this sixty-game season, the strategy changes. Mm.
1: Uh, sometimes you sit sit back and wait for a three-run home run, depending on your club. But you know, sixty games is <laughs> you, you may not be able to sit back and wait for a three-run home run. You may have to do a little more hit and run a little more button, uh, uh, you know, just a little more
2: small ball to try and get uh, runs across the plate early in the game. So that's one thing I'm going to watch. Well, let me ask you about this. And this is part of the business of the business. Uh, you sure, you saw, I'm sure, Patrick Mahomes' half-billion-dollar deal to play football for Kansas City. Uh, it made me think about the deals the Braves signed with Albis and Acuna. Uh, and they gave them multi-year deals Uh, early on in their careers, and I'm wondering at some point the Braves are going to look at it and go, you know what, we're going to have to tear up these contracts and renegotiate this thing because these guys are going to outperform their deals. You know it and I know it. Yeah, that's a good question. When they signed
1: those deals, that's what everybody was was saying. The the young players were saying uh, to themselves, uh, you know, I've never dreamed of security like this. Uh, So I'm going to sign this contract. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you don't want to do that because you're so good. You know, well, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. They could get hurt. They understand that. And the Braves made big offers. uh, uh, Yes, probably uh, under market value. If the guys still perform the way they do, the way they are performing, there's no question that it's going to be a great deal for the Braves. But, again, these young kids are saying, like, i got security for me and my family that I never dreamed about. But it'll be interesting to see. If they continue, man, there's no, no telling. Um, I, I, really, they're two of the best in
2: baseball right now at their positions. Uh, you mentioned the, the bullpen before. I, I'm going to be honest with you, Dale. <laughs> I would sit there and watch a brave game and keep my fingers crossed. When the bullpen came into the game, a lot of the times there was inconsistency, and they used to drive me up a wall, oh my god <laughs> I mean <laughs> uh, uh, is, that, is that fair or am I being a little too critical oh no i think I, I, I think consistency
1: would be uh you know what how you describe it but you know, Howard, you got to think about what if what if they were consistent. I mean, they win 120 games. Yeah. I mean, that or something. So, you know, that they've uh, um, they understand that. And today's game, Howard. You know, you just you you pitch five or six innings, and the bullpen has to be depended on. But the other challenge with all the clubs, all the clubs, I believe it was in 2019 where I read, it might have been 2018 that for the first time the ERA of bullpens in baseball were higher than the starters. Really? And, yeah, and that's, that's a mark uh, to me of the challenge that all of baseball has. We have got to get these starting pitchers to pitch a little bit more. I'm not,
0: we're not going to go back to the days of 10 complete games a year, yeah. but we got to get them into the 6th and 7th instead of the 5th and the 6th.
2: On all of the bullpens in all of baseball, yeah, uh, no question about it. You got to get those starting pitchers to give these guys a rest. Well, the Braves open up on July 24th at, at the Mets at Citi Field, uh, which is good news because the Braves all time have won 463 times against the Mets, and the Mets have only beaten the Braves 386 times. So, I mean, for forever and a day, and this drives my son-in-law crazy because he's a Met fan. And and I, I I told him when my grandson was born, he should have named him. Chipper, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that that disparity in the record is definitely. I mean, I didn't have very much to do with it. People always say, "Oh, you used to kill the bats." I was like, "You you just got the same Murphy." Because I remember facing Gooden and Darling and all those guys. So it's like I didn't like facing those guys, but Chipper, Chipper's the man. Uh, it's been a it's been a fun. Uh, a fun thing to watch,
2: even after he's retired, with all the respect the Mets fans. Let me uh, ask you. Know, a, 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 a funny story. Go uh, ahead. Sorry, Our funny story about
1: Bullies, which unfortunately has closed during this pandemic. uh Bully Sports Bar in New York. I think Chipper's last weekend in Atlanta. He renamed the. Uh, he renamed the bar Chipper's. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's uh, it, it's interesting. Now, uh, you look back last year. I, I never thought I would see a World Series where the home, with the visiting team won every game. That's just unthinkable. But it happened. And Washington, you would think with their pitching staff, will be the team to beat in the NL East. But it's not just Washington. It's Atlanta. It's Philadelphia. And yes, it's even the Mets. It's going to be a hard division to come out of. Well, it really is, and especially in this concentrated.
1: I mean, you were. We're, we're liable to have <laughs> who knows how many teams tied at the end. I mean, uh, it, it, it is a. It, it, I, I think its I think it has got a chance, and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. It's got a chance of being really a lot of fun, Howard. It really does. I mean, sixty games of baseball is is uh, it, it is like March Madness. I mean, we, we you can't you can't afford especially in your division you know you can't afford a loss so it's got a lot of fun but the, the National League East is is, is really really competitive uh, I've said for a number of years I, I've been wrong but I've always felt like whoever comes out of the east is, is going to win the, the World Series I was right last time but uh, it's a great it's a great
2: division it really is a lot of fun let me ask you, I ask everybody a lot of people anyway when I have them on my podcast, uh, about their careers and did you have any regrets and and I'm thinking about Dale Murphy now when I grew up Jackie Robinson was my hero I wore number 42 as a basketball player baseball player football player he was my hero and then years later I'm going to I'm going to college at night while I'm working during the day in New York and I run into Jackie Robinson on the streets of Manhattan and it was like I couldn't believe that he was standing in front of me but he t- he gave me a half an hour believe it or not I talked to the man for a half an hour and I was I-, I was so in awe of this man because as a kid he was my hero so here I'm saying I wore number 42 with all my uniforms now I'm a flatter a little bit my daughter started playing soccer travel soccer she wore number 3 she wore number 3 <laughs> And it wa- and it wasn't you. You. it wasn't an accident, man. I, I encourage you to win number three. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. <laughs> let me let me ask you about Good this time. because it's something that's it's something that's I know it's been bugging you and uh, and I've been pulling for Gil Hodges to get in the Hall of Fame forever. And I spoke to his wife, who by the way is still alive, lives in Florida. Uh, uh, three hundred ninety-eight home runs. If you hit two more home runs, would that have made a difference?
1: it's a good question. Um, I, you know, I I don't think so. I know we, we all, uh, we, we love the round numbers in baseball, all the sports, you know, Uh,
2: probably if there was a five instead of a four there, uh, uh, Howard, that probably, uh,
1: probably make a big difference. Um, And so, you know, I, I'll just have to thank the hall of fame for giving us guys that played in the late 70s and 80s extra chance with the new way they're voting so uh, with the new era committees i have a chance every like every three years so um we'll just have to see what
2: happens it would be it would be unbelievable it really would it'd be so great well i, uh, I you're not going to get an argument from me i think you deserve to be 18 years seven all-star games Back-to-back MVPs. What four people have done that? It's. I mean, it, it's unconscionable that you're not in the Hall of Fame. But you know that. Uh, I know it's probably an agony for you. But uh, you are who you are, Mr. Murphy, and, and you were a credit to this game. Uh, and it's. And it's been a kick for me to talk to you again. Uh, hopefully, we'll do it again. Absolutely. Thank you so much,
1: Howard. I'd, I'd love to, to talk to you. I, I appreciate your perspective and, and uh, history and sports and uh, your, your love for the Braves.
0: <laughs> Thank
1: <laughs> you so
2: much. So, well, you have me on anytime. I love it. Uh, you stay safe now. Thanks. Thanks, Howard. He's Dale Murphy. One of the greats. One of the greats. And the word great is tossed around a lot in pro sports. It really is. It, it may be to an excess but it to me, it's more than numbers. It's, it's the kind of person you are in the game. It's the kind of person that, uh, that you are that represents who you are. And guys like Dale Murphy, I mean, they come along once in a while. The guy was a great player, needs no explanation, should be in the Hall of Fame, but he's not. Hopefully he'll get there. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Because we're going to talk to uh, another great uh, in a different in a different sport, and hopefully he'll be there. Hello, Dominique. Yes, it's Howard David. Are you ready, my friend? Yeah. Very good. You didn't you didn't put on a coat and tie for this, did you? You can have an open shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a casuality. <laughs> <laughs> he is Dominique Wilkins. He joins Howard David Live, um, the Human Highlight film. Uh, to me, that's as good a nickname as has ever been in sports. Well, it's pretty cool. Not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who came up with that?
0: Actually, I got that name in 11th
2: grade. Really?
0: I was in a uh, five-star basketball camp, and with a gentleman named Howard Garfield, a great Howard Garfield.
2: I remember him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I got that name because I scored 42 in an all-star game at the end of the week, and they couldn't tell how was scoring, it was going because it's kind of unorthodox. And they said, you know what? We're just going to call him the human highlight film. <laughs> and believe it or not,
2: I hated the name. Really? But <laughs> well, you know, as I started to a little older, I said, wait a minute, hold on. I can make a little money off this name. <laughs> so it stuck. <laughs> and you got it when you were how old? 11? Le- uh, no, eleven grade. And you're thinking about making money at 11? Good for you. <laughs> uh. Oh, back in eleventh grade. Days, okay. Okay. Back in those days, you know, you know, guys worked very hard to get to that next level. Uh, you
0: know, that basketball was was everything in my neighborhood, and so you know, we were striving to
2: to get out of there. And, and your neighborhood was where? Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, Tough place. Uh, yeah, I've heard. Well, I'm I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and and uh, we've had a little battle or two. Um, let's. Uh, I don't want to talk about your career. I want to talk about your interest in wine that you that you acquired when you were playing uh, in Italy, I believe. Yeah, you know, I, I, when I was playing in Italy,
0: you know, I lived on a vineyard, and the neighbors used to, at the end of the week, they used to bring me cases of Fragolino wine, and it was amazing. <laughs> you know, so I developed a love for wine when I lived over there, and it kind of carried on uh, to to, to to,
2: today, you know, so it, you know, I always have a passion for wine. So, you got a private label now, and it's called Wilkins Private Label. Well, I used to, I'm not involved with that particular one anymore, but uh, working on some other things right now, and uh, some really cool, promising things I'm working on when it comes to wine. Cabernet? Oh, of course, and a Pinot. You know, Hmm, well, and when we get done with this, I'll give you my address. You can send me a. Call. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take care of you. <laughs> I'm into I'm into cabin. I visited the win the vineyards in in uh, in Sonoma, California, and Napa, California, and it's it's a treat. Uh-huh. You've been there, I'm sure. Oh yeah, many times. And It's
0: this, this a lovely place, and if you're into wines, you love wines. There's no better place in the world to go
2: than out there in Napa Valley. Did you ever go to the uh, Coppola Vineyard? I didn't. And they have—they have a museum there to honor Francis Ford Coppola, who of course directed a lot of movies, including The Godfather. And when uh, I walked into that museum, they had The Godfather's desk. As soon as I walked in, I couldn't believe how small it was. I expected this big desk, and it wasn't. Well, you know, TV makes everything look bigger, <laughs> <Yeah. weird>, right? <laughs> The, uh, the Hall of Fame career that you've had, and I mean, you, when you went in 2006, you go in with Charles Barkley, yourself, Joe Dumars, uh, an old friend of mine, Dave Gabbard, who has since passed away, yes, and uh, Gina Auriema, who who's established a phenomenal career coaching women's basketball at Connecticut. I mean, uh, that's as good a class as I've ever seen.
0: It was a great class. It was a wonderful class, and I really enjoyed you know, going particularly with Barkley because, you know, we played against each other in college when he was a freshman and I was a, a junior at the time. And, you know, right into the pro and then we'd go into the Hall of Fame
2: together. That was, was a special time. You know, it was amazing to me uh, when he w- tried out for the Olympic team and Bobby Knight cut him. <laughs> I mean, mistake. Yeah, you think? <laughs>
0: he was looking for a different type of player. Who knows? No one knows, but
2: uh, what a talent to cut Charles Barkley. Well, you think about this, Dominique, you think about this. When you looked at Charles Barkley, you would not have thought that he would be such a productive rebounder because I believe he played at about 6'6", maybe, maybe. So he's going up against much taller guys, but he had the ability to establish position in the painted area that was I, as good I, I as it got. Firsthand, I saw him firsthand yeah. <laughs> in, in college. And
0: he had an uncanny ability to clear out space. And what I mean by that, when he put his body on, he was so big and strong that you couldn't get around him. And so he was a great position rebounder as well as the area rebounder. He would go and get it. And he was just so quick off of his
2: feet for a guy his size. He was a freak of nature. In that class also, one of my favorite players, Joe Dumars. Uh, uh-huh. You know, Joe was, I mean, he played with Isaiah. He played with the great Pistons team that won championships. A lot of people didn't give Joe Dumars a lot of credit, but keep put this in, in your memory bank. Joe Dumars is the one that had to guard Michael Jordan. Let me tell you, Joe Dumars was a super player. Super player.
0: I mean, he could do it all. You know, he could score. He could, he could rebound. You know, he was a great passer. But defensively, he was a hell of a defensive player, one of the best. And so he he had a well-rounded game, and he had size, strong uh, shooting guard, could play multiple positions. You know, he was a a great player.
2: Well, you also went in, I mentioned Dave Gavits, a friend of mine. He passed away in 2011. He was commissioner of the Big East when the Big East Uh first was born. And I had the privilege of doing a lot of games on Big East television Uh, thanks to Dave Gavitt, uh, but we got to see the beginning of a lot of great players that played in the Big East, whether it was St. John's or Georgetown or Providence or you name it. I mean, Patrick Ewing just comes off the top of my head and the great Georgetown teams. But it's college basketball, like everything else, has changed dramatically from from back in the mid-80s. Yeah, I mean, when you look at basketball, periods, it's changed, you know, from the 80s. You know, you had.
0: many rivalries you know and every every league you know in college you know you had every, had their certain rivalry that they enjoyed playing against but it's it's not like that anymore um because first of all a lot of you guys don't stay in school long enough to build those rivalries and so
2: it, it, you know it's a different time we live in you came out in 82 third overall pick behind james worthy and um terry cummings and i remember terry as a there's a bulldog, a real tough guy who played with Milwaukee and worthy, of course, yeah, played. He with, yeah, he played with the great Laker teams. But I'm reminded of you know, the third pick in the draft. Uh, what was that? Eighty? Was that eighty? Eighty-two. Eighty-two. When a guy named Jordan came out. Oh yeah, no, actually that was eighty-four. 84. eighty-four. You're right. You're right. Jordan comes out. We uh, was number one. We expected that. But Sam Bowie was number two, and it forever it'll be attached to. How did Portland pass on Michael Jordan? But keep in mind, they had, uh, uh, they had a pretty good number two guard by the name of Clyde Drexler. Yeah. You know, uh,
0: it, that happens all the time. You know, it, it doesn't really it doesn't matter if you're the first pick or the really the fifth pick, you know, especially in, the, in that era with so many great players. You know, um, you know, actually, I was supposed to go number one to L.A., but Mitch Kupchak got hurt, so they had to pick up bigger forward. James Worthy could play both forwards, so I knew if it didn't go one, I would go three. And so it really, really didn't matter. You know, it just, just back to depending on what team needed that position more. And so,
2: you know, it, it worked out well for everybody. Talking with Dominique Wilkins, the the you know, human highlight film, a great player, one of the greats in the history of the game. I think back to some of the teams that you played on in Atlanta, whether it was Kevin Willis or Doc Rivers or Livingston or uh, Antoine Carr or uh, Spud Webb and all. I mean, you guys had a really good roster, and I think later on Reggie Theus was with really, you, what, for a year? Uh, yeah. I am just we, we, we had, I think the, the, one of the best teams we had is the year we went
0: to the year we won fifty-seven, and we second-round of play. That was a great team, and you know we had a chance to to come back with that with that team to to possibly have a chance to win it all. And you know, they made the the trade that was devastating for our franchise at that
2: time. Um, I thought that was our chance to win. What that trade was, is that? Uh, when I was traded from Atlanta to to uh, the Clippers. Were you shocked? I was blown away. What's it like? I mean, people don't seem to understand. I mean, here you are a superstar. And a I, superstar. Know, I, know it, I know it's the nature of
0: the business, but when you're you know, the, the, this is the franchise, you know, the and you're told that you know you got to get ready for a playoff, and then the, the next day, you know,
2: they call you, say they trade. That was a blow. Who was part of that trade? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Andy, Andy, Andy. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fair. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I understand the sarcasm there. I, I get that. I, look, the, I've, I've always been blown away. In um, fact, I had Vin Baker on about two weeks ago, and Vin's, I go back a ways with Vin. I was doing Milwaukee Bucks basketball on radio when Vin was playing with Big Dog Robinson, and... Uh, and Vin talked about when he was traded from Milwaukee to Seattle, where he joined Gary Payton. Uh, and he was excited. He was shocked about the trade, but he was excited. Let's face it, he was playing with a non-playoff team in Milwaukee, and he was going to Seattle, which had Payton and a lot of other good players. So he was excited about going there. But then he gets traded to Boston Keep in mind, he was born in Connecticut, and he was not happy going to Boston because he was leaving a good team. And if you remember, Vin had issues with alcoholism, and that was part of the reason, because he was traded to Boston. Well, you know, I
0: never knew about his you know, personal things he went through. You know, Ben was a great guy. I mean, I'm a very uh, good friend with Ben, and just uh, a really wonderful person. And sometimes things, you know, happen in our business. You know, when you think you're settled, you're in a place where – you think you can finish your career or start to build the second part of your career. And, you know, sometimes the chair get pulled out for money again. So
2: it's the nature of our business. No, I understand it. It's not only with basketball. It's with all pro sports. I uh-huh. You know, I get it. That's right. You know, I've been, right. I've been doing this for like 40 years. And after a while, you start to accept some things uh, uh-huh. because, you know, it is part of the business. Let's go back. Let's go back to. Uh, May 22nd, 1988. You're in the 7th game against Boston, Eastern Semis. You have a phenomenal game. 47 points, 19 of 23 shooting, and Larry Bird has 34, but he had 20 of those 34 in the 4th quarter. Yes,
0: he did. Well, what you had is two two guys trying to match each other's will. And it came down to that great shootout in the 4th quarter where We went toe-to-toe, and still today, the greatest seventh games ever, Um, you know, and put in the playoffs. So, But, you know, Larry Bird was a
2: beast. Man, much respect for this guy. Well, you you step out of the court against Larry Bird, and it wasn't just Larry Bird. It's Parrish, it's McHale, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of guys. It's not just one guy, and you stepped out. I mean, you were the best on your team, but... You had some pretty good players alongside. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Doc
0: Rivers, we had Kevin Tree Rollins. We we had some some really good players, you know. But the problem
1: is, you're playing against a team we got five all famous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? And going against one, so
0: it was um, man. But you know, it, I have no regrets, man, because I had some I had some warriors on that Hawks team that would go to bat for you. And
2: uh, we fought, you know, and and the Celtics knew that they were in a battle. As you look at this current Hawk roster, it's not it's not playing uh, anymore. The season's over for them. And I remember the draft day trade that sent uh, Trey Young to Atlanta in exchange in exchange for uh, uh, the Dallas Mavericks making the move uh, with uh, with the, with the superstar they got there. Um, Everybody thought that the, the Hawks got the short end of the deal, but I'm watching Trey Young, Dominique, and you see him every night. I'm amazed with his range. You know what? Everybody won
0: in this trade. <laughs> with the trade. I mean, we got a great young player, Trey Young. I love Trey Young. I mean, he has a swagger. He has a toughness about him to be a little guy, and he brings it every night. He brings it every night, and uh, we are very happy with what we have. Trust me, this kid is going to be something.
2: And he's not alone. I mean, John Collins is pretty fair player. Well, well, yeah, you know, you, you know, you look at you look at
0: Trey Young, but you, you're right. You got John Collins, who is a marvelous power forward. You got a young uh, De- 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 DeAndre Hunter, who's a who's a all, very very good all around player. You know, and then and then you, you got Kevin Herter. You got Cam Reddish. You got guys who are up on the uprise, who are a great young talent that has the potential to be very, very good players in this league for a long time. So we, we, we're happy with the crew of young players we, we have. The thing is, that's to continue to build around that, and that's what Travis
2: Link is doing. Uh, give me your assessment of Lloyd Pierce. I, I don't mean uh, you know, qualified as a coach. He's obviously qualified as a coach. But tell me what you see as his strength.
0: You know what? For a guy who's a second-year guy coming in this league who – Really, brought a culture and a a willingness to, to come together as one. It's, been, it's pretty hard for a lot of coaches. He's been able to do that. He's a wonderful coach, just a wonderful person, and the players go to bat for him. You know, he that, that that's the kind of culture he's built. That hey, if you just buy into what we're trying to teach you. Eventually, it's going to work for us. And you know, before some of the injuries and John Collins going out, and we were well on our way. And to to have guys survive into our system is very hard. And Coach Pierce has been able to do that. I, I love this guy as a
2: coach. Let's talk and, about and as a person. Let's talk about who's left. Um, and and where the, we, we know about the Lakers. We know about the Clippers. We know about the Milwaukee Bucks. But if you're taking a team other than those three, who are you keeping your eye on?
0: such a screwed up year but you know you got a team who was who was playing well before all this Boston Celtics it was a team you had uh, the Denver Nuggets you know it was another team <laughs> very good team and so it's those teams who could have been teams that upset you you know so but right now who knows <laughs> I mean the teams had no chemistry no rhythm they hadn't practiced and,
2: in months, so it's, it's tough to say, you know, who's the fake. You know, you might throw in Toronto into that mix because. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Toronto, yeah. When you look and at. They're, play, and they're playing well without Kawhi. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. Uh, they won 58 games last year. They were well on their way to at least that many this year. I mean, Nick Nurse has done a phenomenal job with that squad. Nick Nurse is a great coach. Great coach. He's proven that.
0: Uh, his, his, you know, his basically speaks for itself. and None really have to say what he's done with that Toronto team. But forget about the championship. But what he's done to this team this year, you know, he, he losing on, on a great, the great, the the greatest players in the league today, and Kawhi, and still able to
2: compete on a very high level and have a great record. It's pretty, it's pretty good. He's Dominique Wilkins on Howard David live. I. You would be the right guy to ask this question because there's been a lapse of time. Players haven't played since March. This layoff does this uh, help a guy specifically, like Le- LeBron James, who's thirty-five years old, or all the older players, or it, it, it affects everybody, not just older players. It
0: affects everybody because this is a long time left. I mean, it's you know, as a player, you know, you lay off more than three or four days. And, you know what, you're trying to catch a second win, you know, when you come back to play. So these guys been off two, three months. That's a long time. And so you got to have some court time to get back in court shape. You know, working out in the gym is different than playing on the floor with other guys getting in. how hard it is
2: for him to you know to get some sort of rhythm some sort of chemistry I know that uh, that it's kind of hard to fool you but let's look at I got a little bit of a conspiracy theory I saw the schedule of the first couple of days I think the NBA would like to see Zion Williamson go deep
0: too. You know, Zion was a freak of nature in, in college, and they want to see how far he goes as a pro. But, uh, hey, there's a lot of other teams out there going to be um, ready for that and not going to give him anything.
2: And also, the, you gotta, you yeah, got to earn it. Yeah, the first day, the Clippers play the Lakers. <laughs> Look out. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's just hard to say. I mean,
0: it's just a different platform. You know, it's going to be interesting to see at all turns out and see how or see what kind of shape
2: these guys are in. So, we'll see. Do you have a horse in the race? Do you have a personal favorite, a team you think is going all the way? No, not really. I mean, if you'd asked me before this pandemic,
0: I would have, you know, said probably somewhere, somewhere like the the Clippers and the Lakers would be the two that fight out of the, the West. But now, you know, I don't know. I wish I could answer that question.
2: If you were coaching a team that was playing the Milwaukee Bucks, how would you try to defend Giannis? By committee. One on one, forget it. <laughs> you know, you're not
0: gonna you're not going you're not gonna guard him one on one. He's unguardable one on one. But um, you have to guard him by committee. You know, you you try to force him out in the perimeter and that's by you know packing the lane because
2: once he gets in the paint you can forget it. Hey, Dominique, I'll be honest with you, he's got a lot of your game. Um, you know, the
0: attacking, you know, the rim, getting in the paint, that's what, that's what, I, that's what he is, and that's what makes him so good, and so effective, because he keeps the defense always on, on, on the defensive because what he does is he keeps you backpedaling, and once you start backpedaling, you're hard to guard a guy like that, and my whole thing was to get to a free throw line, and that was, that's the way he plays, he wants to get to the free throw line, and you know, and uh, attack you in the lane, and so what that does is create an advantage for you as an offensive player because now the defense don't play you as hard if you got two, one or two fouls
2: early in the game, and that's what kind of pressure that Giannis put on you. Well, you know this as well as I, if not better. This has become a three-point shooting league, uh, and teams just – that's part of their arsenal, and I understand that. Um, if if they – the three-point shot was as – prevalent as it you know back in your day would you have been a guy that would would spend a lot more time shooting three because you didn't shoot very many threes in your career because it wasn't it wasn't part of the arsenal but what about well, you know I only shot the three if it was necessary yeah uh, you know if guys just would give it to me I took it but it wasn't an end all be
0: all my whole thing was to create an opportunity and advantage by attacking the guy I was playing so I tried to get one or two fouls early in the game and believe me bird and no, all those guys will tell you the same thing sure you know but you know, you talk about three-point shooters. I mean, Larry Bird. I don't know what you mean. People who, who shoot it better, you know, than Larry did. You know, and Reggie Miller and Ray Allen. I mean, those guys were great three-point shooters. But, you know, it wasn't like, you know, you run the fast break and you run through the three-point line. Guys would, would go to the basket. And if you didn't get it, you go through. And, therefore, there was a secondary break. So the ball never stopped. And so, but, you know. Now it's it's courses it's, course it's, it's, it's pushed more to shoot the three more three to more three and more threes and for a lot of coaches back in those days, they thought a lot of those shots, especially when you pull up off the three, was a bad shot. And so you know, you took a lot of bad shots. You came out of the game.
2: I look at, uh, at at today's game, and I'm not being you know uh, you know old school, but I and, and and Greg Popovich, the great coach of the San Antonio Spurs, he's not a real big three point fan. Uh, uh, that's his p- particular f- uh, view of things. I don't necessarily disagree. I'm, a, I'm old fashioned, old school. I liked the game when you attacked the basket and you played hard nosed defense and all of that. I, I, that's the way I was brought up. Now it's a different day. I understand that. But uh, is th- there's no right or wrong here. No, you know, the thing is, we had our time the way we
0: played, and now it's their, their time. And, you know, the thing I, 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 I hate. So much is when people try to compare the two, the different eras, because it's not fair. It's not fair for the guys today. It's not fair for us. So why do that? You know, who's the greatest? Who's not? I mean, I don't buy into that stuff because you know it just was a different time we played them. Just like these guys playing in a different time. I mean, it's their time now. So you know, let them enjoy who they are. But you know, when they, when they, one of the things I hate when they try
2: to discredit our era to prove a point is wrong. Could the, and I'll just use the Detroit Pistons as an example, could their style of play survive in this environment, the way they call them so closely now? Uh, probably. They could survive
0: because they had great players. But it would be a lot more fouls called,
2: that's for sure. I uh, You saw the last dance, I'm sure, the whole thing about that. the thing. About... I look at, um, you saw the documentary on the last dance, the Michael Jordan thing, the 10-part, I'm sure you watched some of it. Uh, the, I came away from that. Look, I always thought Michael Jordan was a fierce competitor. That's, no, that's not a debate. But there was a couple of things that we saw that, you know, Michael pushed his team and all of that. Uh, I didn't think that was a negative. The one thing that, sh- that shocked me is why their general manager, Jerry Krause, announced before the start of the last season with Phil Jackson that he was leaving. I just don't understand the timing of it.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things. It's kind of hard to figure out about that particular situation. But, you know, you know, people talked about, you know, how tough Michael was. And sometimes, you know, he jumped on this guy so much. Well, the trade-off was you yeah, had six championships.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the trade-off. Could you have played with Michael? Could I have played with Michael? Yeah.
0: This situation here. I always wanted to beat him.
1: Oh but so didn't want to play. I didn't want to play with Mike. You know, because we were competitors. We were
2: fierce competitors. But if you ask me, would I play with him to win? Absolutely. It's incredible to me. You walk into your neighborhood you walk into your neighborhood bar and the debate is who is better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I think it's a stupid argument. Michael was the greatest of his time LeBron was the greatest of his time period that's why I say I don't agree with these comparisons and I'm like enough already
0: um, you know uh, it's the different eras it's different eras man and people don't understand that you know that everybody is so quick to put people on pedestals when you don't know, you don't have to I mean LeBron this is a super player Michael was super player why well, can't you compare who was better and, and you know it, you know you talk about you gotta look at how about Bill Russell, thirteen championships. Mm-hmm. How about a guy like Will Chamberlain, average fifty and thirty percent? I mean so if you want to get in comparison, you gotta throw them guys in there first before you throw
2: anybody else in. You know it's amazing to me, Dominique, I mean, under Kareem, this... Kareem, man, they for forget about Kareem, Yep. You know I, mean? I, I look at a um uh I look at the current situation we're in, it in addition to the pandemic but the social issues we're encountering right now. And I mentioned that I grew up in Brooklyn and and we had a different outlook on things. We just played ball, that was our whole thing. We didn't care if you were Irish, Italian, Jewish, Puerto Rican, it didn't matter. If you were white or black, it didn't matter. If you could play ball, you were in. And it was was as simple as that. Uh, Now we're at a different time and a different place. And I see players like LeBron James taking the lead and speaking their mind. And a lot of people have uh, lined up with him as you hear this about a guy like LeBron or players like him, uh, uh, would you, you know, th- this didn't happen back when you played, but w- what's your reaction when you hear this?
0: Well, you know, with the guys, they, uh, you know, the, they, they have different leaders who speak out on different issues, be it from sports or social issues or or, or racial issues, I mean, guys, and I think they have a platform more so than we did to speak out on things that they're they're passionate about or things that they feel like is not right. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm really proud of these guys of how they've handled themselves.
2: I go back to, I went into this military in the Air Force during the turbulent 60s, and I didn't think I'd ever see that again, but it's worse now. But the, here's the one saving grace. You look at the makeup of the protesters now, it's half white. Well, you know the, the the thing that's been
0: been amazing how so many people have come together—white, black, brown, and so forth—has all supported the same cause, and that's injustice right. in this country. And so, uh, to see everybody come together and and you see fists raised in the air by every color—that's never happened before in history.
2: Let me ask you this. We used to play a game when we were in high school where we would pick players from the NBA. You get your choice. We would do it in rotation, and you would pick players. And we used to – it was like a fantasy thing. We'd add up the points at the end of the night and so on. If you, Dominique Wilkins, had a chance to pick four guys to play with you from all time, who would you pick? That's a good one. I'm gonna exclude the small four just because I'm gonna pick myself as the It's small all right. Four no, no. Okay. You no. Know? Um, but man, I'm going with Kareem, mm-hmm.
0: Magic, Jordan, and I'm gonna put a Keem on at the power forward. I mean, it's a, it's really a problem because it's either Keem Elijahwan or Karl Malone. <laughs> you know, you know. So either
2: one of those two guys would be my powerful forward. Obviously, you're leaving LeBron off. And LeBron, I think the one thing you can say about LeBron, he could play all five positions on the court. Not back then. No, okay. That's a <laughs> fair point. Then. That's a fair point. But, you know, like I said, I would have picked like him and of course, Larry and
0: guys like that. But at the small forward position, you ask me what other four guys at the small forward, I'm going to pick four of the positions. Not excluding them as not... And
2: and some of the the greatest players I've played. And and if you ask me, you know, if I had to pick a top 10, well, yeah, of course he would be in there. All right, so you picked Michael, Kareem, Olajuwon, and Magic. Yeah. Right? How many games would you win at 82? I don't know. Probably 82. (laughs) (laughs) When you, you know, I asked this question of Bill Russell and I asked this question of Willis Reed when they were playing. When you stepped out onto the court, beginning of the night, how many times during an 82-game schedule where you said to yourself, not, not not in the locker room, you just said it to yourself, uh, we don't even need to give our A game tonight. We could give our B game and still win. 15 some times? Nights, some, some nights. Some nights, you know, depending on who you were
0: playing. But, uh, but you know, with other nights that you need an A-plus game. I mean, you're playing against the Celtics. You're playing against the Lakers. You're playing against the Bulls, Utah. And and teams like that, you got to play. You bring your A plus game. You know, it was some great teams back then, man. And the East was loaded: Milwaukee, Cleveland, New York. Um, you know, Philadelphia. You
2: know, how you forget them? I mean, there's so many great teams back then. Yeah, well, uh, the times they are changing. There's no question about it. Before I let you go, do you have any regrets? No, I don't. You
0: know, if I had the chance to do it over, I'd do the same thing. You know, I. You know I love Atlanta. I love us, our, our franchise, and I've been here for many, many years. And um, you know, and I tell people all the time because, just because you didn't win a championship doesn't mean that you didn't have a successful, wonderful, and fulfilling career. And so, me, my ring is the having
2: the ability to play a game that I love. And so, no, there's no regrets. All right, I'm gonna open up a bottle of Franciscan tonight, and I'll I'll toast you. Dominique, thank you. You stay well. You too. All right. Appreciate it. Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight film, and just an overall good guy. Good guy. That was a pleasure. Pleasure for me. Pleasure for me. We're going to dabble into the world of professional football next with Mick Mixon. He's the voice of the Carolina Panthers. I don't know how I'm going to top this last hour between Dale Murphy and Dominique Wilkins unbelievable unbelievable so we're going to hook up with Mr. Mixon and then uh, we're going to talk to him we're going to talk to him about um, the world of professional basketball. Let's get them squared away. We'll talk about Carolina Panther basketball. All right. Hey Mick, it's Howard David. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Sounds like you're in you're in the middle of something. No, I'm just getting my
1: phone and I'm getting a room here where I can get some quiet.
2: So, um, I, I I you I want you to do this because I've already looked it up. Your first name is not Mick. It's what? <laughs> mean like Gump? Right. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Be proud, man. We are live, and we're talking to Mick Mixon. He's the voice of the Carolina Panthers. So what's life going to be like in Carolina without Cam Newton? Oh,
1: gosh. Uh, It's it's hard to put into words. It'd be like taking Mick Jagger out of Rolling Stones and having them in concert. You know, people would still come. And we think people are still going to come, but the band's going to look and sound so much different in 2013 and moving forward. You know, the people much more eloquent than me have written and spoken and sung about the passage of time and sunrise, sunset and all that. But it's just hard to believe that here in 2020, Cam Newton being in a New England Patriots jersey, not having brought absolute victory to the Carolinas, uh, it'll take some
2: getting used to. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, and so now Teddy Bridgewater steps in. Actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that they signed Bridgewater first and then cut Newton. Is that right? That's exactly right, Howard.
1: That's how he shook out. And and everything Cam Newton does, he's a lot like you, I guess, in that he's closely scrutinized. Everything he does is headlines and news. And what uh, even to a greater degree, I mean, Cam, what he wears... What font he uses for his Instagram? Everything. He just—he's just an iconic figure. And there's people that think the Panthers slow played it to uh, to hurt Cam Newton. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. It just you know, it just just—it—it it, it happened the way it did. It wasn't that the Panthers were trying to uh, get addition by subtraction. Most everybody that I know, and I'm just one guy, I don't speak for the whole team, but most everybody i talk to up and down the hallways at Bank of America Stadium thinks that Cam Newton still has a lot of football left. The Pats will get the very best of what this exquisitely talented athlete has to offer because they'll be mad at it, Howard. They'll want to prove everybody, every talk show host, every tweeter, every blogger, every
2: chat roomer who doubted him, they'll want to prove them wrong. I had uh, Mike Reese, who covers uh, the Patriots for ESPN, on oh, about a month before they signed Newton, and I said, "Mike, is there any interest in Cam Newton going to New England?" He said, "He's he's not." He said, "People are denying it." Well, that should have been my first clue. Once you start denying it, that means it's true. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Haven't we learned anything
1: through the, the many decades, Howard? It's crazy, but. Yeah, I think you know, New England played it right. I, I give all credit to them, although it's hard to do. But I just think that uh, – I just hope when New England appears on the Panthers' schedule and it will be in the preseason this year, week three, which I guess is now week two, but in a more meaningful setting, if these two teams are, are, are to meet moving forward, uh, it, it's going to be something because I know Cam will want to play
2: his absolute best against his former club. Well, you got a rookie, a rookie head coach. Um, and and a new contract for Christian McCaffrey, Uh, no more Newton. A lot of things have changed in Carolina, but I was particularly fascinated with the attention to defense in the draft. It looked like, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players all on the defensive side of the ball. I know. We went seven for seven,
1: and that hadn't happened. I mean, we set records in doing that. I don't think it was... Part of the plan, although our, the roster was a little bit more offense-heavy with some of the free-agent pickups, but to go out there and, and, and go seven for seven defensive players in the draft—it wasn't necessarily part of the plan. The, the Panthers said they just were loyal to the draft board and stuck to it. But it's exciting. Some of these players may not—they may—they're so green, Howard. They—they they may not know that they're not supposed to be. Uh, great early on that the NFL is a long, tough grind, and so it could be exciting. I don't think I've told several friends of mine this that yeah, you know, it's going to be a process. Matt Rule uses the words a lot: process to, to, to build back, to be relevant, to be good again. But I don't think we're getting any calls
2: to schedule us for homecoming anymore. No, but I, you know, I particularly like the Derek Brown pick out of Auburn, uh, the uh, uh, the Maddox pick out of Penn State. And even Jeremy Chin from uh, Southern Illinois, I kind of like those picks. And even Troy Pride out of Notre Dame. Uh, I think there's some possibilities for these young players. Me too. And, you know, Kenny Robinson
1: is not scared. He's a thumper. Bravion Roy, that anchor strength in the interior, I think it has got a chance. And I'm glad you mentioned Jeremy Chin. Uh, It seems like it's been a long time since the Panthers have had a drafted safety where you just slotted Slided him in, and, and you could depend on that. The history of the Carolinas has been more at safety of go on the street, try to get a guy, and it's worked out okay. I mean, the Panthers have had some uh, some guys that have come in and, and done well for, for a year or two, but just think that, that Chin gives you that, that big, long safety that the, the other teams, along with Trey Boston, sister back
2: there, other teams are going to have to scheme for Well, we're talking with Mick Mixon. He's the uh, voice of the Panthers since about 2005. Uh, The addition of Robbie Anderson from the Jets via free agency. Now, I'm familiar with Anderson, having seen him a lot when he played with the Jets. Uh, What are the expectations in Carolina? I'm glad that you mentioned
1: him because uh, I need to to turn to you for the answer to that question. Everyone, Carolinas are fired up about Anderson. Have on
2: our hands, in your opinion, at receiver now, Howard. Well, the, the, the problem, his shortcoming is the fact that he is short. That, that's part of the problem. He's got great speed. Uh, he's not afraid to go up and get it. Uh, he's a fearless player. Uh, I, but the, in the Jets, it was, a, it was a bad situation because he had Sam Darnold, who, aside from the uh, mononucleosis attack he had, was the victim of a terrible offensive line. So Darnold didn't get a lot of time to throw the ball. Bridgewater is a different kind of a quarterback, and I'll be interested to see about how they mesh.
1: Yeah, me too. I can't wait. Uh, I think that when there were shorter receivers here for a while and Cam Newton was having a problem throwing wild hike, there were some numbheads who speculated that, oh, well, what we need is taller receivers. But really that does not fix the underlying issue which is accuracy from from out of the pocket. Bridgewater, with his ability to process, to think, to deliver the ball, to be not just in the catch radius but accurate in the catch radius. And receivers like Anderson, who, as you say, Howard, can go get it, I think the big play
2: possibility in Joe Brady's offense will be back again. Uh, Talk about, about it's not only Anderson. It's D.J. Moore. It's Curtis Samuel. So give me your assessment of the whole unit of wide receivers.
1: Who's got some special teams chops? He'll be in that mix as well. The 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 real X in the equation, I think, is Curtis Samuel, Ohio State speedster, who uh, has that potential, a la Teddy Ginn, to kind of take the top off a of defense, so to speak, to open some things up underneath. We're, we 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 cut deep, Howard. We we trimmed this thing down to the studs and this. I mean, we could have Chip and Joanna Gaines here studying this, this thing for a total makeover uh, home edition. because the Panthers got rid of some iconic receivers, tight ends, uh, of course, Cam Newton, other players that we've, we've spoken of. So I think that DJ Moore is dependable. Moore is great without the football. I don't, I don't play fantasy football, so I got no idea about stats and who to put on your team. You probably don't get – good uh, fantasy points for a, a receiver like DJ Moore who is so rugged without the ball excellent blocker in the run game and then he is a purity handful
2: after the catch but but he along with Anderson and, and Samuel should give the panthers pretty good start at that position I'm looking at between 25 and 30 touches a game for Christian McCaffrey am i underestimating what he's going to be how he's going to be used
1: And you'll see it this year if you cover us, follow the Panthers, which we invite you to, by the way, because there's room on the bandwagon for for the
2: great Howard David. But (laughs) uh, McCaffrey has camouflaged his
1: intelligence and his leadership voice pretty effectively. He's just quiet. He's just more of a quiet guy. But he realizes now this is his moment in time. So he's doing all the interviews, looking into the camera, basically saying uh, and not afraid to say in that locker room, follow me. And, and, we, and we're going to be going places.
2: Mick Mixon, the voice of the Carolina Panthers, give me uh, what we don't know about your new head coach, Matt Rule. He's
1: got the gift of humility. He, he's not a, uh, He's not one of these uh, ready, fire, aim kinds of, uh, of egocentric next great thing in the coaching world. Uh, slot machine how he he's got the ability to to build consensus to deflect criticism to accept praise i loved his sort of the social injustice all these unanswered questions he had a press conference soon after that and i just thought he struck a really nice chord with not without being preachy without trying to to say too much or do too much he talked a lot about what he you know what he doesn't know what he needs to learn and how he's going to try to support his players and just listen first as he as he gets a feel for for coaching these carolina panthers but i think you if you got a chance to get to know him i think
2: you'd really like him five and eleven last year finished behind new orleans atlanta and tampa bay but some things have changed most notably in tampa bay they got a guy named uh, what's his name again oh yeah tom brady uh, he's now going to be the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They lost seven games last year by one score, and they turned the ball over a lot. Jameis Winston had 30 interceptions. Tom Brady's not going to throw 30 interceptions in four years, let alone one. I know.
1: That's, that's Brady's. I think that's Brady's five-year interception number, and it may not even Brady may even have less than that. So uh, Winston had that ability to run hot and cold break your heart on one play and then look great on another another play, but Brady uh, has got the, the Bucs on fire. The quarterbacks in our division, it's unfair. I mean, all these bullies in the schoolyard with Matt Matty Ice, Matt Ryan, and height of his powers in Atlanta. Drew Brees, when will Drew Brees please, will he not somebody just snatch him up in a broadcast booth somewhere, put a blazer on him so he doesn't carve the Panthers up every year. And then uh, then what you, you say, uh, Howard, about what Tampa Bay's got going, is? the, the, the NFC south is uh it's a pretty robust
2: division yeah there's no doubt about it um you don't have to wait long for drew Brees. he's already got a deal with nbc starting next year well i will celebrate that and uh
1: because he's uh, he's one of those guys that if he's on your team you absolutely love him but when you just watch this this twitchy he's like a durable. he's always just licking his fingers and throwing the ball and getting in and out of the hole. everything he does is quick fast twitch and um and he's, uh, he's sure, obviously
2: surefire first ballot, Hall of Famer, no doubt. I don't, uh, Mick, I don't uh, place a lot of stock in looking at the schedule because it's not who you play, it's when you play them. Uh, and you open at home against the Raiders, and we don't know much about the Raiders. We don't think they're a powerhouse. But, and then you got to go play in Tampa Bay, in Los Angeles, then play Arizona, Atlanta. That's a formidable next month after the opening game. Yeah, we don't have to wait long to jump into the uh, the divisional games
1: too. Howard, as you say, what are your um, what's your sourcing? What are your people telling you about uh, about football? Do you think we're gonna?
2: Maybe you think it's gonna be thumbs up as far as you know? Uh, as of right now, it is. But you know, I'm I'm the eternal optimist, Mick. I'll be honest with you. And there's a side of me right now that's concerned uh, about whether or not baseball is going to start. Uh, I mean, teams are in training camp, but a lot of players are opting out. In the NBA, we've seen players opting out. Same with the NFL uh, and same with pro basketball. So uh, until I see it begin, uh, I'm just going to play wait and see. I, I can't predict anything because we haven't been down this road before. So
1: charted, I know. And I, I've even thought uh, if there are games and if there are flights and all, will will uh, will your humble correspondent, uh, be on the plane. Will we have to? Will broadcasters like us have to watch TV and do do the best we can to to capture the sights and the sounds of everything and put it on all, out through the radio speaker? I just don't know. It'll be, be interesting
2: to see. Have you done a game in Jerry's World yet in Dallas? Yes. Uh, and the TV is it's so crazy.
1: The television screen is so. It's, the resolution is better than your naked eye. So. I got a stiff neck from looking up at the big video board calling the game off
2: of that thing. It's crazy. Well, the reason why I asked you is that I've done games there, and I had no, no chance of seeing uh, the other corner uh, of the end zone, the left corner of the end zone from my vantage point. So I did call the game off the monitor, and look at it this way. That's pretty much what you're going to be looking at now, possibly, but let's just say that they say you can do the game from the stadium. Is there a part of you that's going to be concerned? Oh, sure. I'm
1: 61. I mean, I, mean, I guess I would be in that, uh, that, that risky group and, and, uh, and life its own self. You know, I love, I love uh, the, all I ever wanted to be when I was a little kid was a sports broadcaster, and, and I, I'm passionate about it. But you definitely, you know, you don't want to put yourself out there and expose yourself to too many pathogens and, and uh, but it does. Also, would feel odd. I mean, how are we going to do interviews? How are we going to do, collect all these interviews for the pregame show? And and are we going to have to? If we are in the stadium, are we going to have to broadcast with a face with a mask on? It's just I don't,
2: I don't know. I mean, what do you what do you think? I, I don't know. I, I'm going to play wait and see. I, I really don't have an answer to that. Uh, we've sat in the same stadium once that I can remember. Carolina was in the NFC championship game against Green Bay in Green Bay. And I'm, I'm trying to remember the year. Uh, maybe it was before your time. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, it was. was yeah, that was my predecessor, Bill Rosinski, that I think your are your Bill's pass cross, I think maybe at Westwood, won a few uh, lifetimes ago. Yeah, no, that that's accurate. Uh, it was actually 96. Um, the game was at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, and Carolina, and, and by the way, the way they exploded out of the gate as a, as a, uh, a a brand new organization, they accomplished a lot in a very short period of time. When we're good, we're really good down here. It's flashy, but the problem has been that we has been to be consistently good. That's that's the goal moving forward. So you, I get the idea you're excited about the season starting. Uh, but we have not been down this path before. We don't know what to expect, so I guess we're just going to have to play like everybody else—play a wait-and-see attitude. And the key is just stay safe. That's the bottom line. Agreed. And I, I appreciate talking to you, Howard. We respect your work and down here, and, and appreciate the visit very much. I'm sorry, my phone was a little clattery at the beginning. Sorry. Right. Out of
1: my uh, my mobile my mobile home office here with a dog and cat and my wife watching.
2: Reality TV in the other room, so it's been a joy. Appreciate it, Mick. Thanks for your time, and stay safe. Appreciate you too, Howard. Mick Mixon, the voice of the Carolina Panthers. Now, his concerns are real. Think about it. We don't know what to expect. We're going to go along with the recommendations. I get it. But we don't know what to expect. We can only keep our fingers crossed that everything's going to go along in a safe and organized manner. And I'm okay with that. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, I am, truthfully. So it'll be interesting, very, very interesting. Uh, look, you folks stay safe today. Appreciate your time with Howard David Live. Uh, we'll see you again tomorrow, same time, same bat channel. How's that, I've been wanting to say that forever. Just like when, you, if I ever played Jeopardy, I'd like to say, I'm going all in. But you have a a good day today, a great day, and stay safe. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live.